0: Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Salib Huber. I'm an intuitive eating dietitian and naturopathic doctor, and I help women manage menopause without dieting and food rules. Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. And if you're looking for more information about menopause nutrition and intuitive eating, check out the Midlife Feast community, my monthly membership that combines my no-nonsense approach that you all love to nutrition with community so that you can learn from me and others who can relate to the cheers and challenges of midlife. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the Midlife Feast. Hey, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. So this is a story session that I've been really excited to talk about. Um, because you have a dieting turned undieting story uh, that I think will be really relatable for anybody listening. And I think will help people to see the process, not only the payoff, if we want to call it that, but the process of going from, I need to control my food or diet or, you know, eat according to a plan for my health to realizing that there are so many other ways other than dieting that we can work to improve how we feel in our bodies and about our bodies. So why don't you just kind of start a little bit with where did you come from? You know, before our paths cross, where were you coming from in the, in the dieting wellness world? Sure. Thank you. It's an area that I would love to be able to help people with because I thought it
1: would have been impossible to escape from. You know, my my dieting story is more than 40 years long. Mm So maybe for context for people, you know, I'll share I'm, I'm 53 years old. Um, and I'm in, I'm in really good health. My dieting story, basically, when I look back, I can see in school pictures that I started being a little bit overweight around grade three. You know, when you start to see those differences, I can see it. Um, and I was put on my first diet when I was in grade six, so at eleven years old, my mom went on a diet um and so everybody in the house went on a diet and i it was i think it was the first time that I ever really thought about food or my body or if anything was not okay. And all of a sudden it became very monitored and controlled. Um, and to my mom's credit, you know, unfortunately for her, this meant she was doing that monitoring and controlling for everybody in the household and it was Weight Watchers back in the Mm -hmm. day. So it very much instilled the, this is good food. This is not good food. This is how much you should have, uh, you should not have more than this. Um, and, yeah. and back in the day, it literally involved checking the boxes, right? You had mm-hmm. a little tracker and you had to have this. Picture much, it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, exactly. And I think that mindset really, really stuck with me, even though, you know, as I'll explain, I explored a lot of different kinds of things. So I think that that first diving into dieting, I very much had this idea that, well, I'll just get the weight off once and, and then I would gain it again. Like I wasn't learning anything about nutrition. I wasn't learning anything about activity. Um, and so everybody in my house lost some weight and then we went back to how we were eating and I just gained the weight again. So, and in high school, you know, grad sort of hovered around that maybe a little bit heavy. Like I, I, I really hesitate to even describe it that way, but it was more how I felt about it and how yeah. I, how I sensed it. You know, I think I have, thank you, Jen, a very much, um, you know, better acceptance of all body types. Um, but, that you know, that's how I felt about myself at the time. So through high school, Um, you know, a little bit of on again, off again, um, mostly just around food restriction at that point in time, because I wasn't being exposed to, um, anything that looked like activity, um, or any other kinds of diets. So in my world at home as a young person, you know, you were on weight watchers or it was a free for -all,
0: all or nothing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> so I think that's, that's another piece that really stuck with me. You know, you were controlling it or you were not controlling it. Um, so you were a good size or you were not a good size. Yeah. And that's how it felt for me for a long time. And um, and then I started to explore a lot of different options, you know, as I got a little bit older and I had more control over what I was eating, how I was eating. Um, I actually, I don't know if you remember back in the day, Nutrisystem, Oh, yes. Yes. And if you want to talk about disordered eating, um, all of your food came out of a package that you bought from them. It was tiny portions. I believe all that you added to the packaged food was a tablespoon of wheat germ in a whole day that was it um, and and of course that was really a significant restriction and I lost weight and so that was the goal of that was when I was getting uh, married in my early 20s you know to be this smaller size for that time frame and I at least at that point started to explore activity a little bit so you know my parents don't have, any type of activity that they do, you know, whether it's walking or nothing that ever really appealed to them. So I didn't, I didn't ever see that as part of my day to day. So I started to explore a little bit more at that point. Um, and then I, you know, Again, it was this sense of controlling or not controlling. And so I would control it for a period of time and then it would drive me crazy and I'd have to take a break from it and I would not control it. And so my weight was constantly kind of doing that roller coaster. And after my daughter was born, when I was about 24 years old... Um, it's funny. I, as I tell you the story, I reflect on it really differently because Mm -hmm. at the point I thought this is it. Like, I get it. I'm looking at this little baby. I want her to just grow up in a house where people are normal eaters and just to see people having some activity and eating normally and, and have some comfort with food that I had not had at that point in time. And in reality, that is not what she saw growing up. She saw me exploring being vegetarian. Would that help me control my weight? Being Mm -hmm. vegan, would that help me control my weight? Um, running a marathon, would that help me control my weight? (laughs) Um, so I really was all over the place trying a lot of different kinds of things. You know, I followed a keto diet religiously for quite a number of years, um, So, you know, many, many years of exploring lots of different kinds of things and always with this idea of um, controlling it or I'm not controlling it. The only, you know, the only way to be healthy is to, you know, really, really rigidly control. And I think I had had a couple of years um by the point you and i connected um and and i learned about you on another podcast and i started to follow your material um i think at that point i i talked about how i ate is very templated because mm-hmm. i could have this thing for breakfast and this thing for lunch and this small snack um and basically no supper and i wouldn't be gaining weight so mm-hmm. if i just sort of followed that template every day it could take some of the thinking out of it for me.
0: The decision fatigue. Yeah.
1: The decision fatigue. Absolutely. You know, and I, you know, I'm a busy person. We're all busy people. I have a busy job. And so the decision fatigue was absolutely an important part of it for me to just try to um, eliminate all the thinking about food. (laughs) And if I just stick with this, it'll, this will, this will work. This will be fine. And I, again, I just got sick of it. Like I. I just was so restricted. I spent so much of the day hungry and I thought there's just got to be an, an easier way than this. I I think I always had this idea. There's people there that get it and I just don't get it yet. Um, Or there, or there is a perfect diet and I just haven't found it
0: yet. And, but that's what diet culture I think instills in us that there's something wrong with us if it's not working. or that we haven't tried hard enough, we haven't looked hard enough, we just don't want it enough, um, or that there's something fundamentally wrong with us, which if we go back to kind of what you said about, you know, you remember your body changing in grade three, which, you know, you would have been nine or 10. And for girls, that's a pretty typical age when we start to go through those early puberty changes. And what most people don't realize And it's such a common story that people say, I went on my first diet at 10, 11, 12, sometimes much younger than that. But what we don't, well, what we know now, but what I think everyone needs to know is that our body needs to increase the percentage of body fat significantly in order to be able to menstruate. So everybody changes (laughs) as we go through puberty. But it's often the first time when we internalize the fear of a body getting bigger. And it's often the first time when the people around us start to comment on it, start to try and change it, and often very well-intentioned. Like, that's the thing. I think that it's almost always well-intentioned when parents try and help their kids when their bodies are changing. But what it's really saying is there's something wrong with your body and we need to fix it. And because diets don't work in the way that we've been led to believe, the fix doesn't exist. You can't start a diet, get to a certain weight, and then just maintain that forever. It just doesn't work that way. I like saying, as I now know. Yes, (laughs)
1: Yes, <laughs> But it took a really, really long time to understand that and believe that. And, you know, I just want to reflect back on what you said, because I think that type of understanding about the changes that our bodies are supposed to go through and what's normal, I think we need to get that information out there sooner, right? As, as as parents of kids, if we had that better understanding of what's normal and what's happening, um, I, I think that's really important education to have. And I, I think, as you said, parents are always trying to do their best for their kids. And, and I know my mom's mindset was like, I want to, ha- I want to help her nip this in the bud so she doesn't grow up with the same kind of challenges that I had. Um, yeah. And I and I think you're also very right. Like when I when I say that I was starting to be, you know, a bit heavier in grade three, I don't have any memory of that or caring about that. I only know because I look back at pictures now. But at the time I didn't I didn't care. It didn't bother me. It was just my body.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then the Nutrisystem comment, you know, that really reflected this the mentality or the mindset. In the late '80s, early '90s, that there was like a fix you could buy, <laughs> whether it was Nutrisystem, Slim Fast, Jenny Craig, whatever it was, that there Weight Watchers, like that, there was a fix, and you just had to buy it and do it, and that would be the end of it. Um, you know, and I think that for our generation, and you know, anybody I think who was dieting in the '80s or '90s, it set us up with this like really false expectation about what food should be because you're right. Like anything that came in a package that you ate only exclusively was clearly never going to be normal in real eating. Right. But it set us up for this expectation that like, that that could be a way when, you know, we could never maintain that financially for one. Um, but also just realistically because you're not going to take a package of food out for your birthday. Like, right, you're going to go to a restaurant and you have to know how to eat, essentially. Yeah. So so now, you know, you're through your 20s and you're, you know, you're kind of chugging along. You mentioned, you know, that you were on keto for a long time. But I also want to touch on this feeling that I think comes up a lot in midlife, which is this, I call it the gift of midlife, the inability to do things that no longer feel right. Um, and for so many people, that is... I don't want to control every bite of food anymore. This doesn't feel good. Can you tell me a bit more about kind of how that feeling came about and, and what changed and what prompted the change?
1: I think within that, I think that was really diplomatically put. And I think within the midlife beast community, which I really strongly encourage people <laughs> to consider because it has been such a huge support for me, support from you, support from you know, lots of like-minded individuals for like anything to do with menopause and for intuitive eating. I think there's a common theme there and we would call that more like no more shits to give, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you you have this opportunity to start thinking about yourself first, putting yourself first. Um, and. I I think with the food, it caused so many rippling impacts because it was something I had to think about all the time. Um, I was really uncomfortable if I had to eat out socially, like I would usually try to avoid those situations entirely. Um, and you picked a great example because this week happened to have a couple of different social things that are happening in it. Um, and I would have skipped them in the past or I would have eaten before, or I would have brought my own food, you know, anything that I could do to kind of avoid um having to eat outside of the right food, you know, I say in air quotes. And mm-hmm. I think for me, just realizing that I was done with that. You know, I want to have a better, easier day. And I think uh, and I'm I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but a lot of the conversations with you have really helped open my eyes around the fact, and this sounds really silly in hindsight, but food isn't just about nourishing your body. It nourishes your soul and your heart. And, you know, it can be fun to cook fun things. And, you know, it was really easy for me to recognize for other people that I, I love to, I love to cook. So I love to feed people.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: love to make them things that they, that they like, and I love to introduce them to new things. And I didn't give myself that flexibility. Um, so I think starting wanting to have some ease, wanting to have some flexibility, is what really drove needing to make some changes. Um, it takes a lot of time and brain power to be so rigid in how
0: you're eating, and really I does.
1: Want to have an easier day?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, food has to be. I mean, people have heard me say this. You've probably heard me say this a million times, but. We have to make decisions about food every single day of our life, multiple times a day, often for other people, often in imperfect situations that we can't control. But the need to eat is a non-negotiable human biological need. And so, you know, when we start to think about it as like, okay, I need to do this, but how can I make it enjoyable? Because it's also a moment of pleasure. It's an opportunity to meet other needs—needs needs for connection by eating with other people, needs for creativity. I love to cook too, and you know, I joke that I'm—you know—food is my love language, and I'm, I'm totally a storyteller with food. If someone if someone needs anything, I'm like I'm there with food because it's how I like to connect. But when you're following a set of food rules, I think it disconnects us from that. You know, like I remember when I was doing keto, I would make people things that weren't keto and I would bring it to them and they'd say like, oh, have some with me. And I'd say, no, I can't because I'm keto. (laughs) And The irony of it now that I would make them like this beautiful cake or this like beautiful lasagna, but I wouldn't have any of it. Um, You know, and so that disconnect that it creates between who we actually are and who we're trying to be. Um, I think is what gets really uncomfortable and we just can't, we can't do that any longer. We just have to be who we are, um, in whatever way that is. That is
1: an interesting thing to play back to you too, because you use the phrase, you know, who you're trying to be. And in hindsight, all I was trying to be was Yep, you know, that was such a huge goal. And I'll be honest, like now it feels pretty irrelevant, um, You know, I have to tell you a funny story because part of my journey has really involved, you know, um, thinking, thinking less about food, thinking less about weight, um, getting away from the scale. I used to get weighed every day and now I get weighed, you know, occasionally. I think I, I definitely need to be adjusting to my sense of my body. And once in a while, you know, it's a nice check just to see what it is. And I think I just have a better idea of like, what does the scale tell me? Mm-hmm. And it really only tells me how much my body weighs. I get that. It doesn't yep. tell me if I'm going to have a good day or if I'm going to have a bad day. But this week was kind of funny because I happened to get weighed um, and it actually told me something useful because unbeknownst to me, this scale wished me happy birthday. And I thought, well, there's a useful thing that a scale <laughs> can do for you. <laughs> there you go. There's now it's got two purposes. That's it.
0: <laughs> there it and happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Thanks so you said something uh, that i want to come back to because i think this is a good place for us to pick up what undieting actually is because you said i now think less about my body i now think less about food i now worry about it less some people might listen to that and think well she just doesn't care anymore right she's just given up which is the big big myth about intuitive eating or you know anti-diet is that it just means not doing anything so tell us kind of why doing less has helped you and feels good. How has it been a better thing for you? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I'd have to say, you know, people would need to understand that I you know, started you know, following your materials, reading books you suggested, working with you with, with the right intentions, but 100% confident it was not going to work for me. Like, <laughs> I really, I really did believe people must, it must be a mindset shift. You know, they must not just worry about their bodies anymore. You know, maybe they are more self-confident. So if things are changing, they're going to be okay with it. And that is a hundred percent, not the case. Um, I think for me, the big shifts were around just how I think about my, my body overall and that it's here to serve me. And I want to move it so that it can serve me as happily and healthy as long as possible. And I want to nourish it uh, so that it can, you know, be there to serve me. And I I think that that's a really big part of the mindset shift for me. So, you know, joyful movement has, you know, another thing that you talk about Mm -hmm. a lot, and that's been a really big mindset for me too. So I know I am very fortunate that I happen to like to work out and any, any kind of workout you can think of, I pretty much like it. And so really thinking a lot more about that, you know, my workouts have all been at home, especially, you know, since COVID and changes like that. And um, a couple of months ago, I started to think, well, what what are kind of the gaps? What are some other things that I really like doing? So I joined a gym spef- specifically because I love Zumba and I love spin. So it's just an example of like, are those the most important part of my workouts? no but I love them. I just love to move my body in that way. So it just lets me look at it a little bit differently. And it's very much the same conversation with food. Instead of thinking, okay, what does my template look like? Making sure I have the ingredients in for, you know, those that short list of meal types that I eat. Um, I'm a lot more tuned into how food actually feels in my body. Um, like, thank you carbs for coming back into my life. Like
0: I was going to ask about those specifically. So why don't you tell us about, let's talk about some of the things you added in because, you know, you've mentioned that you had a really restricted templated diet Mm -hmm. and what kinds of things did you add in that feel really good in your body? Yeah. Really good question. Um, part of that came from you know,
1: listening more to my body, but what, what feels good in there and, and what do I just really, really love? And maybe I'll just kind of share one more thing. All these years of restrictions, part of the template of eating that I had fallen into, was like huge restrictions, six days a week. And one day a week was a free day in air quotes. And so that, very much led to the scarcity thinking, right? So mm-hmm. I was hungry a lot of the time, six days a week. So on that seventh day, when I could eat whatever I wanted, knowing it was still keto, it was still you know all of these other things, but I just didn't control the volume. I really overate that day because I really felt like, well, it's the only day I can do it. I've got to fit it all in there, um, and that's very much not about about listening to your body. So I think when I think about the things that I added back in it, a lot of it just came from thinking, all right, this gentle nutrition goals and these ideas. If I look at my, my average plate, have I got some protein going on? Have I got some fats, some carbs, some fruits and vegetables? Um, and so some of the things I've added back in are because they're my passion fruits. Like I, I, just love watermelon unreasonably. So there's a watermelon in my grocery order every couple of weeks now, just because I love it. And to think back now that like I restricted how much watermelon I could eat, like that, that, that seems crazy in hindsight. Um, I have some things that I can't eat, like dairy does not work in my body. Um, yep. And that's fine. I don't miss those things. Totally. And other than that, uh, like the things that I've added in are basically everything. Um, I was at a barbecue this week. I had all of the things I'm eating out in a restaurant, uh, tomorrow I'm going to eat all of the things. So I think really thinking about joyful food, what gives me a lot of satisfaction, um, you and I did a really interesting exercise together that I was worried was going to be really triggering for me because for about a week I kept track of all the foods I was eating, not how much, just what was I eating? And then I was rating them for satisfaction. And it was, I'd never thought about it like that before, you know, and satisfaction in terms of, did you enjoy it? But also were you full? So I'm somebody who has had a smoothie for breakfast for 30 years, easy. And I really enjoy it. I can drink two liters of smoothie and want lunch 10 minutes later. So that is clearly not satisfying, right? That is not ticking the boxes for me. It made me think about that. Um, I also have an unreasonable love of peanut butter and almond butter. So that finds its way under my plate more often as well. So I think it's less about specific things that I added and just more that it's, uh, you know, it's it's an open buffet. You know, it's whatever is going to feel good in that day. Although the one really significant change absolutely is carbs. Um, yeah. because I was, I was keto for so long and, uh, I start most of my days with some type of oatmeal for breakfast and not that I'm thinking about calories, but if I was, I'm confident it's less calories than what I was having for breakfast, but it is so satisfying and it stays with me for a much longer period of time. And, you know, just, it really feels good in my body, um, and I also want to share, it works the other way around as well. So it's not just about the things that you add in, you know, we talk about should, you know, we should ourselves a lot. I had things that I ate that I should, and I have reached a decision that I am not going to try to like liver anymore. That is, that is, I, know, I haven't managed to like it in 53 years. I'm not going
0: to. I'm a hundred percent there with you. I like almost everything, but liver tops the list of things that I cannot develop a palate for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have tried to disguise it. I've put it in a blender. I've cooked, I have tried all the, all the things and those days are done. I, I have put in the effort,
0: (laughs) but that's a great, that's a great example to highlight that permission isn't just about saying yes. Food freedom comes with the permission to say yes or no, depending on whether you want it and depending on how you know it is going to feel good or not good in your body. There's no shoulds. There's no, I have to eat this or I can't eat this. It's, do I want to? Mm -hmm. And that is, I think, the game changer for so many people is realizing that I can actually ask myself, do I want this first? That can be the first question. Um, You know, and if the answer is yes, it always has to have a place to fit. And if the answer is no, it never has to have a place to fit. That is, there's so much freedom in that. So I love, uh, I love that for you.
1: It, can, it changes your experience in really small ways as, as well that you wouldn't think about. So um, my daughter and I went out to Starbucks last weekend and we had this fabulous coffee and I was, I was ordering for us and I thought I really feel like a little treat. Well, I would have had that thought before and then not acted on it. But I, you know, asked what they had. Cause as I said, you know, I can't have dairy and whatnot. And she said, Oh, well, we have a marshmallow cloud bar. And I said, Oh, I, I don't see that here. And she showed it to me and I said, Oh, it's a rice krispie square. It was <laughs> such a Starbucks name for it. I thought it was fabulous. So I, I, got us each one. Um, I couldn't even tell you the last time I had a rice krispie square, but it was fabulous. Like it just, it was just such a nice little treat to have. And it's part of that permission. You know, I can have that because that sounded good. And that was a nice treat to share with my daughter.
0: Would you say that you spend less time thinking about food now as an intuitive eater?
1: Absolutely, um, you
0: know, last night
1: was a really good example. It just happened to be a, a really demanding like long work day. I had to work late, plus, I had a brand new fridge delivered yesterday, so I had been trying to run out of food, food yeah. so I'm someone who usually has like we're sort of batch cookers and we have lots of things around so um right now, that is not the case, so I had a really random meal yesterday because that's what was in the fridge. So I had some chickpeas with barbecue sauce and some cooked cabbage and, but it sounded really good to me and it ticked the boxes of gentle nutrition. Um, it warned my husband, it was looking like a particularly gassy meal, but Hey, that's
0: what was was available. That's a, that's a combo.
1: (laughs) But yeah, I I think that I didn't worry about that meal until it was time to eat that meal. And, and I you know I wasn't planning ahead to make sure there was food in the house and, and everything was there. You know, if I eat out in a restaurant, I don't look at the menu a week in advance to try to narrow down if there's anything that I can eat, because I know I'm going to be thinking with satisfaction first in the day of. I'm going to say what looks good to me, like what sounds good.
0: I love this. I love you for sharing this, you know, food freedom journey that you've been on. And, and I know that it's going to be really helpful to others who may not be able to kind of envision what it looks like, because I think that's the hardest part. You know, everybody can, can want to be free of diet culture and to be, you know, to quiet the noise. I think everybody can relate to wanting that, but it can be really difficult to actually kind of convey what that looks like, where you're starting from and where you're ending up. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Um As I always ask my guests, you probably know this, but what do you think is the missing ingredient in midlife? Conversation. Um, it mm-hmm. should just be part of everything
1: that we know and understand. A, a lot of it relates to the same thing that I said about, you know, what's going to change in our bodies during the course of our lifetime. I would have liked to understand that in grade three, it would be great you know, for parents to understand that about their kids. Um, I think if we, if it just becomes part of conversation, whether it's a joke, whether it's a meme about hot flashes or whatever it is, I think that that is just fantastic. Um, and I know you asked me only one thing, but I'm going to say too, because I think community okay. is a really huge, a huge part of it as well, right? So we don't all necessarily have family or friends that are particularly local, but what their midlife experience is. And I would just really encourage people to find community in whatever that looks like for you. You know, it could be meeting great women at a gym or at your office or, you know, in the midlife feast group, but, you know, find, find your people.
0: Yeah. it. I, I mean, I did an episode last year where I said that I think the missing ingredient is community. And I, I still believe that to be true. So I 100% agree. Uh, conversation community sounds perfect to me. Thank you so, so much, Laura. And um, I wish you a great day. Thanks, Jen. You have a great day too. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Midlife Feast. For more non-diet health, hormone, and general midlife support, click the link in the show notes to learn how you can work and learn from me. And if you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, please consider leaving a review or subscribing because it helps other women just like you find us and feel supported in midlife.